0: Let's read our scripture now Romans 8:14 through 24. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, "Abba, Father." The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we'll wait for it patiently. May God add his blessings to the, his reading of his word.
1: Well, last week we took a break from our series 8, uh, looking at Romans chapter 8, and we're back to it this week. And this, this series, in a nutshell, we, what we're doing is we Romans is one book out of 66 that your Bible contains. And in the New Testament, there are a series of letters written from apostles of Jesus in the first century to the early church. And this is one of those letters, one of the largest of those letters. It's called Romans because it was written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And in this, he goes through a lot of fundamentals of our faith. He thinks through things very thoroughly. It can be kind of a, a challenging brain exercise just to read the book of Romans and wrestle with it. Uh, this this letter is is not just your typical pen pal letter. It has a lot of uh, theology in it, and so. Romans 8 comes smack in the middle of the 16 chapters that we've broken this letter up into for uh, ease of use, right, and ease of access. And this chapter, right in the middle, has, is, is central to the whole argument that Paul's making. And in fact, we find that it's central to our faith. The, the things that he talks about here in Romans 8 are fundamentals of the Christian faith that we would do well to remember. And so we've talked already about Um, how Paul shares that we are free from both the law, like the law of Moses, that legal system where you have to do this, this, and this to measure up with God. We're also free from sin. And then he talked about how that works out, how through the Spirit we put to death the deeds of our flesh, and we set our minds instead on the things of the Spirit, and by His help, you know, We put those old things to death and we live in a new way that leads to life and peace. That verse that we've been working on memorizing. That if we set our minds on the things of the flesh, that leads to death. But if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, that leads to life and peace. And so this is the fundamentals of our faith this, that we're talking about through this chapter. And we're getting to part of my, my favorite part of this chapter where we get to talk about hope. The hope that we have as Christians And sometimes, you know, we think that the hope that we have is that when we die, we'll go to heaven. And it's so much richer than that, as Paul lays it out in this chapter. And so I'm excited to look at it with you today. But before we go any further, I want to ask you to do something. And that is to think for a moment about something that's troubling you in life right now. Maybe it's in your personal life. Uh, something that you're dealing with at a spiritual level or a physical level or an emotional level. Uh, maybe it's something that uh, someone dear to you is, is wrestling with or maybe it's a problem in the world with politics or whatever. What, pick one thing that's, that's really troubling you in your life today and, and kind of store that away in your mind for when we get a little bit further down the road with this message. This hope matters when it comes to these things in life that trouble us it's important that we see the relationship there and so we're going to get to that how many of you have ever seen the movie ben hur anyone new or old version yeah, okay so i saw ben hur the old version probably in school or something i don't know when i saw that but charlton heston you know plays ben hur and hard to beat that i mean the guy played moses you know, Moses playing Ben-Hur. <laughs> so, um, they came out with a new version recently that I, had, I don't think I've seen yet. I can't remember if I watched it or not. If I watched it, it wasn't very memorable. But what do you expect from a remake? Let me just ask you, this. If, you if you haven't seen Ben-Hur yet, you should. Alright, but I would recommend the first one. Because if I offered you a Rolex or a Rolex, which would you pick? All right, let me tell you something. This guy's name, Charlton Heston. The other guy's name, last name, Huston. I kid you not. Rolex, Rolex. All right, so you go with the Rolex. You go with Heston. All right, but anyway, this story in a nutshell. Sorry if it blows the whole thing for you. Uh, It's still worth watching. In a nutshell, it's this prominent Jewish citizen in the first century, lived contemporary with Jesus. is a fictional fictional story. Um, he is, ends up being cast into slavery as punishment. And so he's a slave in the Roman Empire. Well, eventually he comes in contact with this Roman citizen that's a, kind of a prominent Roman citizen. And, and the guy takes a liking to this guy and, and this Roman citizen doesn't have an heir of his own. So he ends up adopting Ben-Hur And when he adopts Ben-Hur, he's no longer... Well, sorry, let me back up. He sets him free. And once you're set free by a Roman citizen, then you become a Roman citizen. Uh, And so, Roman citizenship in that day was not a dime a dozen. Like, not everyone had that. You had to be born a Roman citizen, or you had to purchase it at a very high price. Uh, Not everyone in the empire was born a Roman citizen. You had to be living in specific places or have a certain heritage. So it was a rare and precious thing to be a Roman citizen. So he's set free, becomes a Roman citizen, and then is adopted by this guy and becomes his heir. And this was typical of... uh, Well, the story is not typical, but the process... Like, that was true. If you were adopted as a slave by a Roman citizen or set free as a slave by a Roman citizen, then you became a Roman citizen. If you were adopted... By someone, then you became their heir, and uh, so it's a pretty cool thing. in fact, you can imagine that this was a big deal to people who lived in Rome in that day, like stories of people who were set free and became Roman citizens. Wow, what if that could happen to me you know like every slave 's dream or or what if you know what if I could be adopted by someone that was awesome like i 've got fifteen brothers i 'm going to get inherit next to nothing, but what if Someone without any sons adopted me, and then I was like the only heir. And that—how awesome would that be? And so, especially men would dream of this in that day. It would have been the subject of stories. In fact, famous people like Caesar Augustus, who was ruler when Christ was born, uh, inherited the empire through his adoption to Julius Caesar when he was eighteen. So this was a, a common thing. Of course, he wasn't a slave that was adopted. He was, you know. A rich nephew or something, you know. So, um, but still, this would have been a, a big deal. Roman citizens, in in their minds, you know, it's it would have been akin to like if you're British and you get obsessed with the British royalty and all that, you know, and how it works, and and so it is in Rome. You would have been. You know, obsessed with the emperor and the empire and the rich people and the senators and how all this stuff, and you could be adopted by one of these people and you, you know Roman citizenship is precious and what if I became one? And, uh, so all this was in the minds of everyone who has lived in the Roman Empire. They heard these stories, they thought about what if it could happen to me and that kind of thing. Well, when Paul starts talking about our hope, In Christ, he says that all who are being led by the Spirit of God, see he's picking up right where we left off, that those being led by the Spirit are pursuing a life you know, life and peace in the Spirit. So those who are being led, these are sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery, leading again to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba Father. Ladies, this does not leave you out, even though it sounds like it does. This is actually really cool. In, in that culture, uh, if you wanted stability as a female, you were married into stability, right? Like that's how you pursued a, a stable life and provision for yourself is you married into it. Uh, men inherited into it. But like I say, if, if you were one of many sons, then you might not inherit much. Uh, If you were the only son, you might inherit everything. Welcome to my life, only son, only child. Tell you what, it's pretty nice. (laughs) So that was the world that they lived in. And so it was sons who inherited. So by saying that those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. uh, Paul is not excluding women. In fact, Paul repeatedly says, in Christ there is no male-female distinction. There, it, he had uh, women who served alongside him in leadership, and uh, you know, we, we read about that through the New Testament. So, in, being, in saying that all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Saying all who are being led by the Spirit. Male, female, whatever, these are sons of God. Now you might feel weird about being a son, but just remember it's just sons who inherit. So he's making you an heir with Christ. This is pretty radical stuff. Adoption. We think of adoption in our culture as something that we do for kids. right? Like there's a child who needs adoption. There's a child whose life will be miserable. Maybe they've lost their parents or uh, maybe their parents just can't care for them or uh, whatever the case is. And so adoption is there, right? Uh, People adopt children from around the world in in poor countries where perhaps they'd have a better life here or whatever the case is. And it's always for us about the child. Uh, In Rome, adoption was not about children. It just wasn't. Uh, Adoption was about heirs and inheritance it was about a guy coming towards the end of his life and saying I've got all this stuff I've got this family business however big or small it might be and I don't have anyone to pass it on to so what's going to happen to it I should adopt somebody and they can carry on in my stead and so really it it was good for whoever was needing an heir and for their family. And it was good for just societal stability. Because like I say, if you they would often look for a, a, a nephew or a, whatever, a friend of a friend who had too many sons. And so that would help that family by taking out one of the heirs and giving them an inheritance separate from it. Does that make sense at all? And so people who were adopted in Roman society were not typically children... But adults, young men, like 18. Uh, Caesar Augustus was a young man. When he, you know, Ben-Hur in that fictional story was a young man. And so they'd choose this young man to carry on their legacy, carry on their business, carry on their family line, because they had no one else to do it. It was about survival. It was about uh, societal stability and so forth. That meant that some lady could marry that guy, And have stability because he so this was just a way of keeping things steady in society it was not about raising up children and so it's important perhaps to think about the context of adoption for them when we think about uh, adoption in the sense that Paul's talking about it for us as Christians that then this isn't just about This lovey feeling of, oh, God's going to take care of me now. Um, That component is obviously there given the Abba, Father, like Daddy. There's a familial relationship there. And Jesus used that term too. So yes, we think of God in a loving way. And he loves us. And so there is that aspect of it. However, this is also about inheritance. This is about passing on the family line. This is about... Becoming an heir, if children, heirs also. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Mind-blowing. Our story is the Ben-Hur story. Slaves to sin, set free by the blood of Christ, to become citizens of a new kingdom free and then adopted as co-heirs with Christ. <laughs> this is yours. This is your life. You've been set free and adopted by the king. You're now co-heirs with Christ. That doesn't even register in my brain. Like, What? How do we deserve that? We don't. What does Christ inherit? What does Jesus stand to inherit that we are co-heirs with him in? Have you ever given that much thought? What is it? Is it just some kind of intangible glory? Uh, Is it You know, are you going to have your own cloud in heaven? Maybe we'll give some of y'all harps, but some of y'all don't need to be messing with music. What are you going to inherit? Uh, We're told that if we suffer with Him, then we may also be glorified with Him. We're told that... The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's glory involved. We're told elsewhere that, well, Jesus himself said what he inherited. He said uh, in various ways at various times that all authority in heaven and on earth was being given to him. His is the kingdom of God. Someday we believe, as we're going to look at it in a second, that there's going to be a new heaven and earth. That means not just a heaven, but a new earth as well, a new creation. And it's going to be His. And we are co heirs with Christ. He will be the king. And we are co heirs king. He's the firstborn son. We are uh, the red-headed stepchildren. No, how do say that. We are co-heirs with Christ. We get to share both in the glory and in the responsibility. And, and we, we don't fully understand what that means or what that's going to look like. But it's amazing to think that we would be Counted as children children of God it used to bother me this verse about if we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him and I thought well you know we, they face persecution for their faith that we don't most of us face uh, it happens more nowadays I've got a uncle who worked at a large company uh, in a you know, in the U.S., you'd all have heard of it. I won't badmouth them today, but uh, he, it came out that he was a Christian with Christian values and beliefs. About uh, Specifically, he was asked by a boss about his views on homosexuality. I mean, he was honest about it. Uh, that homosexual CEO or whatever, you know, whatever role, vice president or whatever they were, made his life miserable for the rest of his tenure there. It made it it her personal responsibility to mess with him. Pretty soon he found himself working under people he had trained. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It was just awkward situations like that. So, yes, suffering and persecution still happens from time to time. It's one of many examples that we could come up with. And maybe it will happen more large spread, widespread for us. But certainly in different corners of the world persecution for your faith still a very real thing. So I used to say like well if I'm not suffering does that mean I'm not you know in the loop but I've I've learned that God doesn't punish people for where they were born. I believe that. And and so you know we're going to get to that we'll come back to that thought a little bit later as we're about to close up because I think it's really important this idea of enduring so we'll talk more about that but let's talk a little bit more about this glory that we stand that we stand to inherit because I think that it's so such a beautiful picture the hope that we have in Christ that it affects how we live now. in fact, we might say this if you want to fill out your note card it says we believe that we can face the world today because of where it's headed tomorrow. That we can face the world today both in our own lives, in your personal life, in your, in your family, in your home, the, the extended family, the, the problems that you face at your job, the, the problems that you see in the world around you. We can face these things today with confidence, with courage, with boldness, with hope because of where we believe it's headed tomorrow. Paul kind of goes off on this side tangent about for a minute about what it is. What is our hope? What is this glory which we wait for? And he says that creation was subjected, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of god that's a mouthful in a nutshell like when sin entered the world the christian belief is that that corrupted not only human flesh and human spirit but the whole world all of creation and that all of creation is then waiting and groaning as if it's in childbirth until this moment, until now until Christ returns and that we also having the first fruits of the spirit, in other words we've begun to taste the life and peace that is available to us through Jesus Christ as we're being led by his spirit and if you missed that message from two weeks ago you can find it on the podcast, I think it's huge our Cypress Street Messages podcast, or you can go to our website, cypressstreet.church, hit listen, and it'll take you to the podcast or just a media player there. But two weeks ago, that message was really significant about what the Christian life is about and how you practically follow the Spirit's lead in your life. So if you need to go back and listen to that, I encourage you to do it this week. You can even listen to me on double speed, so you don't have to listen to me any longer than you have to. But we also, like creation, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption. It's like we're already adopted and we're not yet fully adopted, right? We've been promised adoption, but we haven't fully realized our adoption. We haven't received the full inheritance that awaits us. And the redemption of our bodies, our physical bodies will be made new. Like Jesus' physical body was made new and he resurrected. That's what resurrection in the Christian faith is. And so this is our hope, if you can wrap your mind around it. Not that when we die we'll go to heaven. That's something worth hoping about too. But that's not our forever place. Our forever place is with Christ. And one day Christ will return. And there will be a new creation. And we will inherit that with him. You'll receive a new body. Creation will receive a new body. Things that were broken and corrupted will be healed and made right and restored. And you will be a co-heir with Christ. You'll have both a share in the, the glory of that and of his reign over a new kingdom and a new creation and also a share in the responsibility that comes along with ruling and reigning. This is the Christian hope. Since the first century. So we live in this time of groaning. Amen. <laughs> Some of you groaned this morning. As you worked out the arthritis. Yeah. We know about groaning. Paul uses it specifically. With the illustration. The metaphor of childbirth. By a show of hands, I'm just curious, how many of you have been in the room when someone gave birth to a child? Maybe it was you, maybe it was someone you were supporting. Been there, done that. Quite an experience. In Paul's day, there was no such thing as epidural. No such thing as spinal or anything like that. Guarantee you there was some groaning going on. That's probably putting it mildly, right? (laughs) In some cases, at least. Women who've gone through childbirth should understand what Paul's getting after here better than anyone. That there is misery that you go through for a time. But it's worth it because of the hope Of what's to come. Because of the life that awaits on the other side of that groaning and of that misery. And Paul says, it's like all of creation, ourselves included. is waiting, groaning for what Christ will bring when he returns. And the present sufferings that we face be they for persecution for our faith, or be they just the sufferings that come with life in this corrupted world. It's worth enduring them because of the hope on the other side of the pain. So we have this incredible hope. What do we do with it? Our call as Christ followers is to stand in the middle of the tension between what we hope for but don't yet see, you know, what our life is now, the pain and the suffering of life now and and the hope that we have of the future. We stand in the midst of that. We've tasted a little of the life and peace that comes with the Spirit, with following the Spirit. We taste a little bit more each day that we follow the Spirit. We experience more life, more peace but we're also still in this broken world in these broken bodies and we're reminded on a daily basis that all is not as it should be all is not as it could be all is not as it will be someday and our job our job is to stand in that gap in the middle in the tension between a broken world and a glorious hope and do what? Pray. That's a big one. It's one that Paul talks about, and we're going to talk about that in more detail next week. Because that's kind of where he's headed next. Like what to do when you don't even know what to pray. Because you're so broken inside about something. The Christian's job is to stand in that gap, in the midst of the pain. Knowing what our hope is. And to do ministry there. And part of that is praying. Sometimes that involves physically helping. Emotionally helping someone. Supporting someone that needs your support. Helping someone who needs your help. Helping to show, to shed, to bring a little bit of the hope of tomorrow into today, into someone's life. Including your own sometimes. One of the Christian's jobs is to square your shoulders back. I learned this the other day that, you know, I used to think posture was just about looks, you know. And I wanted to have good posture so I looked good. <laughs> but I didn't want it bad enough to actually work on it, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I used to think it was about that. Or about like long term health, you know. Don't want to eventually you know, just keep hunching over till you're in bad shape. But I was told the other day and it makes sense to me that there's something psychological that happens maybe even spiritual with your posture. When you square your shoulders back you're actually exposing like think olden days Warfare days, danger days. You know, like we live in a pretty secure world. You don't worry about someone, you know, taking out a sword as you walk down the sidewalk today, hopefully. But in some days, they really did. Like there were raiders. You never know when they'd show up and raid your town or your little village. Or, uh, there were dangers about. There were animals that were dangerous as well. And to hunch, to cower, that's a protective stance. Even just slumped <laughs> is more of a protective stance than to square your shoulders back and expose your heart. Sorry. Uh, your guts. All right? This is a... So you're living on the edge when you square your shoulders back. You didn't know it. But you are. And if you think about it, it's a it's a statement of confidence. That's why when when someone walks into the room with their shoulders squared back and their head raised back, they mean business. They're like... Look, I'm confident. I'm not worried. None of y'all can hurt me. I'm not even worried about you. All right, that's what you're communicating to people. And and that's what you're communicating to yourself as well. I mean, try it. Right now where you're sitting, square your shoulders back, sit up a little straighter. Now tell me you don't feel stronger. <laughs> More confident. All right? Walk out of this place, walk into that broken world with your shoulders squared back. Confident, because of the hope that you have in Christ that's part of the Christian's job don't do it so you look better in the mirror do it to remind yourself who you are co-heirs with Christ an heir of God that's what he said you know what's coming down the line so there's nothing that can hurt you In the last bit of this message, we're going to talk about assurance that we have in Christ and how nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Stand confidently in that. That's part of the Christian's job. Standing in the tension between this broken world and the glorious hope that we expect and wait for. And part of the Christian's job, according to Paul here, Is just to endure. I say just to endure as if that's easy. It's not easy. In their day, the primary question before them, these Christians, these first century Christians, was would they endure? Would they cling to their faith in the face of the persecution that they faced? Would they they cling to their faith when they faced danger for their beliefs? When their families faced dangers for their beliefs, like their wife and kids, their husband. When they were putting their family at risk because of their faith, would would they stick to it? Would they endure? Or would they abandon their faith for a path that was Not as painful, it was easier, less dangerous. And we wonder what would we do in their shoes? For most of us, our primary question is still will we endure? Will you keep the faith to the end in the face of a doubting culture? When everyone on TV, every professor in college, every article, and the whole scientific community scoffs at our faith in something beyond the physical, the material, will we keep the faith? Will we endure? When everyone around us is chasing after possessions and sports and recreation and material things, the luxuries of life, will we still chase after Jesus first? Will we endure? When we, who are in many ways so spoiled, spoiled enough to believe that tragedy should be all but avoidable in this life, when tragedy finds us, will we endure? Will we keep the faith? Will we endure to the end? Glory awaits. An inheritance awaits. A new creation awaits. Will you endure? We believe that we can face the world today because of where it's headed Tomorrow takes time. Sometimes it's hard to think of hope as being enough. Sometimes it seems like a long way off. It's been 2,000 years. Seems like a long time to us. A lot of generations have gone by. Interestingly enough, they say there's trees on North America that were alive when Jesus walked the earth. The redwood forest. So maybe from a different perspective, it hadn't been so long. But for our short lifespans, 2,000 years seems like a long time. Especially for for us in America, in this 21st century, where we as a society and individuals rarely undertake anything that takes longer than five minutes. (laughs) You know, you read a recipe, it says, you know, soak for 24 hours and then cook for 13 hours. And you're like, what? (laughs) Microwave, two minutes, thank you. Uh, Buildings that we build now. Like, if you can't build it in a year, it's probably not worth building, right? I was thinking about that the other day when Notre Dame was burning. Remember that? It was all over the news Notre Dame was burning. And they were talking about, you know, how Notre Dame was built so long ago and how long it took to build it. And that, like, they practically have to wipe out forests of oak trees to rebuild the roof that was on that thing. They were huge Oaks that and they wove this like intricate pattern with it on the roof by hand. <laughs> no cranes, right? No, no machines. How in the world did they do that? Like, they had to go into forests, cut down trees, haul the trees to you know, <laughs> cut the beams out by hand, lift them up there somehow, carry them up there, and set them in place one at a time. It took generations can you imagine us in our society today like I mean maybe this is happening I just don't know about it but like if they said we are going to build a new capital building it's going to be the most fantastic capital building in the world but you're not ever going to see it in your lifetime would you like to pay taxes for that? (laughs) why can't you just build something we can build in a couple years right you know People and generations gone by, I mean, the pyramids, Notre Dame, all these things, the temple, when Jesus walked amongst, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem in his day, it was still under construction and had been for generations, and still was, it wasn't completed until around 60 AD or somewhere in there, and it didn't stand for long before Romans tore it back down, but, I mean, imagine that you spent generations building a building and then the romans come and tear it down but people used to have patience for this kind of thing like who sets out to build something that's going to take longer than you live like you're never going to see the fin- the guy that draws up the blueprint is never even going to see it finished that's hard for us to imagine nowadays but people used to do that and i wonder why seems that they maybe had a greater sense of what it meant to be human what it meant to pass something on for the next generation than perhaps what we have today and maybe that's part of the reason that we have such a hard time wrapping our minds around hope but here's what hope is here's what hope is not (laughs) hope that is seen is not hope It's the very nature of hope that we hope for things that we don't yet see. There's something coming that we believe by faith is coming. And so we can face today and find peace today in the hope for what's coming tomorrow. It's not fully realized yet, but we believe it's coming. And so we Wait eagerly for it with perseverance. Will you endure? Will you face today? Will you find life and peace? Life and peace come from knowing that you're a child of God, a co-heir with the King. And by faith we come into this hope if you don't have that hope, that life, that peace, it starts with faith in who Jesus is. The one who died and rose again. The one who sits at the right hand of God. To whom everything in the new heaven and earth will be under his authority. Join us Join us by faith. Find hope for tomorrow by which you can face today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. We admit, we confess that our present troubles and trials often weigh heavily on us. Spirit, help us to persevere, to endure, to keep hope alive until that hope is transformed into a glorious reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.